Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Sam Selikoff. Sam, do you want to say hello? Hey, how's it going? Uh, great. We had you on episode 364 of JavaScript Jabber. And if I remember right, we met at MicroConf this year. Yeah, we did. We did. And then, of course, I lined up the episode and didn't show because I had something else going on that week. Um, it was still a fun time, though. It was it was really fun for me to meet AJ and get the chance to chat with him because the show was, uh, you know, such a big part of my kind of early JavaScript experience. So that was a, that was a fun time. Nice. That's always good to hear. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. But yeah, in fact, if I remember right, it was just you and AJ because nobody else could make it. So yeah, we were just talking about Ember. Nice. So do you want to give us just a little bit of an introduction, let people know who you are, what you do? Absolutely. Um, yeah, my name is Sam Selikoff, and I do mostly front-end JavaScript development. I've been doing it for about six or seven years. These days, I'm teaching people Ember, I'm making videos doing that over on embermap.com. And I do a bunch of open source as well. Um, so that's kind of what I do these days. Nice. And uh, yeah, I love all the the training stuff and the uh, the outreach stuff. I mean, I think it's important. It's important to the community. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I see what you're doing and I, I kind of applaud you for that. So. Thanks. We, uh, when we started kind of making videos, we were really trying to target more intermediate developers. So it's been fun making videos that are, you know, deeper dives on some of the, the kind of nuanced intermediate level stuff that comes up when doing these kind of bigger SBA websites and web apps. Nice. Now, one of the things that I'm trying to do with this show, just to change uh, direction a little bit, is I'm trying to give people an idea of who, who the people are behind the code or the people are behind the effort. And so do you want to just talk a little bit about what you do when you're not coding? Uh, you know, maybe where you're from, um, what your background is, um, you know, your family situation, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, yeah, so I actually don't have a background in, in software. I studied finance and economics in college. Nerd. <laughs> Big time. And I really fell in love with economics, like um, not so much the applied stuff, but more the kind of theory and, you know, the, the knowledge, kind of the body of knowledge going back a couple hundred years you know, Dave Ricardo, Adam Smith, and then kind of getting into like the Austrian economists. And, and I kind of fell in love with that stuff in college mm -hmm. and um, wanted to be a professor actually. Um, but kind of always had that interest. And then, you know, after I decided academia wasn't really for me, that's kind of when I took a job doing some consulting and kind of picked up programming along the way. But um, I, as far as like my interests and hobbies go, I definitely am a nerd at heart. And I still like to read about 
you know, economics or um, political science or philosophy. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, programming has become a big part of my life for sure. I really fell in love with it, um, both the practice of it and kind of the theory of it. And, and so that still takes up a big part of my life. And then, um, you know, other nerd stuff, video games and movies. I, I love watching movies and, um, you know, fantasy and sci-fi kind of, you know, one of the mill nerd stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. I'm also, uh, uh, I love music and grew up in a musical family. So, um, grew up playing guitar at church and, you know, my brother plays violin. My dad used to be a music teacher, so he kind of plays everything. So, uh, when we all get together for, you know, Labor Day or Thanksgiving or Christmas, it's usually like a little mini bluegrass jam session. So that's still kind of a big part of my life. Very cool. That's, that's really great. Um, my 12 year old daughter is getting into music and, uh, my wife's family is very music inclined. So anyway, it, it's just kind of funny cause she's, she wants to write music, write songs, or she doesn't play any instruments yet. So, um, <laughs> we're, we're starting to pull all that stuff together and we're going to do a podcast about songwriting. So, Oh, that's uh, it great. Should, it should be fun. It seems like it's a really good time for that kind of thing for kids, especially the amount of resources out there and YouTube videos and everything. Yeah. Um, I have a number of contacts out there in both kind of the, a few of the local, um, not just like local to Utah, but you know, other local area music scenes. And then, um, you know, some of the more, I guess, uh, widely known, um, professional music scenes as well in Nashville and stuff. So, we're, we're hoping to kind of line some stuff up and um, it's going to be part, how did you write that song and what was your inspiration and part? Um, what should I be doing right now as a 12 year old to, you know, get to the point where I can write my own music at, at, at that level. So cool. anyway, it should be fun, nice. but yeah, I, I love that musical background and stuff. As far as the economic stuff goes real quick, I'm kind of curious, you know, you said you read a lot of books about that stuff what are one or two books that you really like about uh, economic theory or political science? Yeah. Um, there's this book economics in one lesson by Henry Hazlitt. He used to be a journalist, but he has a surprisingly good grasp of, uh, you know, economic theory. And um, so he's, since he is a journalist, he kind of makes it accessible, but it actually still is a pretty dense read. Um, but that one's really good. Uh, Man, economy and state is like the big one. So that's like, if you're really going deep, it's like Old Testament reading, you know, the equivalent in the religious studies. So that would be like the kind of the, the Bible version of that for economics. Um, I was like Thomas Sowell, basic economics by Thomas Sowell is really excellent. It's another big one. I've, I've recommended that one a few times. I like that one. Yeah, that's really great. Um, really great. Also, he's, he's really good at making things accessible. Um, but yeah, Henry Hazlitt has some other good articles. And uh, as far as kind of the older stuff, he's pretty interesting. And then if you want to get more into the political philosophy, which has a lot of overlap with kind of the economics that I really got into back in college, um, Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard. It's like more like a 50-page essay, really, than a book. But that one's pretty um, pretty thought-provoking. If you've never read anything kind of about, um, that's pretty pretty on the extreme side as, as far as philosophy goes. But it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Very cool. I'll have to check some of those out. Cool. Hi, I'm Charles Maxwood. You've probably heard me on a lot of the shows on devchat.tv. The language that got me into programming and taught me to love it was Ruby. 
And eventually I got together with a bunch of my friends and we started the podcast Ruby Rogues. And that's how devchat.tv got its start. Ruby Rogues has been running since 2011 and has had conversations with a lot of people from the wider programming community that you've probably heard of, as well as very focused episodes with people from the Ruby community. If you're doing Ruby, if you love Ruby, if you're building tools in Ruby, then you should check out Ruby Rogues and you can find it at rubyrogues.com. Um, well, let, let's move over toward the, the code arena for a minute. How did you get into programming? Yeah, so when I decided I didn't want to be, you know, an economics professor, I was in Boston at the time, going to Boston College, working on a PhD, and I kind of finished the coursework and decided, you know, I just didn't want to be in such a slow-moving kind of bureaucratic um, industry like academia. Like even if I had forged my way through another four years just to get a PhD, it was then going to be like seven or eight years doing like postdoc work and before getting a position that I was going to be happy with. So I kind of decided to pull the plug on that. And uh, one path for kind of dropout, uh, PhD dropouts in econ is to do like economic consulting. Um, and so I took a job doing, working as like a litigation consultant where we were using some of the regression analysis techniques that we had learned in grad school. And um, some of the cases there were like involving enough data that you actually had to use SQL. So I actually got, got into programming through SQL um, and also doing some Excel VBA stuff um, just as part of like our, our work preparing data for the cases that we were working on. And um, yeah, I just kind of got more and more into it. And, you know, between making high charts in Excel and doing reading depositions and then doing some coding with SQL and VBA, I was like, well, this part of the job is my favorite. Like if I could just come in every day and do, you know, VBA and SQL and work with the data and stuff, like that would be awesome. And I kind of talked to my brother who has been a developer for a long time. And I was, he was like, well, yeah, that's like what being a developer is. You just get to develop all day. That's like what it means to be a developer. <laughs> so I was like, you know, could I learn that? Like, I feel like I kind of missed the boat. You know, I study economics and finance, um, but this stuff, I'm really drawn to it. And I don't have a CS degree. He was like, well, you don't need one. Um, so if you just, if you learn, you know, the basics of web development, you could probably get a job in a year and, uh, yeah, that's all you really need. Nice. So you made the, the switch at that point? Basically decided like, was so interested in it, started studying it at night and, um, within eight months, was able to quit that job and get my first job as a programmer at a financial software company doing Perl development, actually. Nice. So, Yeah. So you get in, you're doing Perl, you're writing all the stuff. Um, you know, right. I hear a lot of people tell the, the, the joke that Perl is a, a write only language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I haven't heard that, but, uh, yeah, it was just a big shop with like a bunch of Perl scripts kind of in production, very successful company. Um, but a lot of it was just Perl scripts manipulating like custom data files and all sorts of stuff like that. But, um, but pretty quickly, I got into like the web UI development space. And so there were some web UIs that we had there internally. And I loved working on those, learning CSS and just tweaking those and making things polished and making nice UI interactions. And that kind of naturally led to JavaScript. Nice. So, yeah. So you're, you're writing the scripts, you're getting into web and yeah, you're doing JavaScript. So what made you want to start writing more code in JavaScript? Because you know, for, for a long time, people who are writing backend code in Perl or other languages, you know, JavaScript is kind of a necessary evil mm -hmm. more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Did you experience that or did you come in after sort of the front end renaissance? 
No, it was early. I mean, this was uh, like 2012, I guess. So, you know, ES6 classes didn't exist. Like, there was a lot of stuff that was still um, in the future as far as kind of modern uh, ergonomics that we have. But, um, no, we had we had Perl, and then we, we also used PHP for some of the web frontends. We used, like, Symfony in a few places. And, you know, I finally, it took me a while to come around to some of the frameworks, but I, I did eventually and kind of liked the, the how, how productive I was with them. And the big project for me was a survey. I was kind of tasked with building a site to display the results of a survey that we did every year. And, you know, we basically copied and pasted previous year's survey and like made a few updates. But there was something about the project that really just made me want to kind of really polish it up and um, make it more interactive, let people filter it. And I think like the HTML5 push state, pop state API had landed and was had enough support that I could basically let people filter the results of the survey um, and share links. And I thought that was the coolest thing that you could load up the, the dashboard, the survey, and filter it down by department just to see the responses. I was also getting into E3 at the time, and that had a lot of overlap with my economics background. So a lot of people in the database community come from um, yeah, journalistic or academic backgrounds, and they do the same kinds of work data visualization work that, you know, folks in academia do in their research. And so all that kind of combined to definitely push me towards JavaScript. And I built this backbone app with D3 data visualizations that synced its state to the URL. And I just had a lot of fun with that. And that's kind of when I knew like, yeah, the UI development stuff and the polish, this kind of intersection between the data and, and the UI is kind of where I want to live. Nice. So at that point, did you make your transition fully into the front end or were you still writing back end code? I guess, do you still write back end code or are you mostly focused on Ember? Yeah. So these days mostly Ember, but um, I still, if I need to, I can write my own server, basically use Rails kind of for an API, that sort of thing. Um, but I like focusing on the front end. Um, that dashboard site was like a backbone D3 kind of app. And you know, all of the backend API stuff was like pretty ad hoc, but um, all the routing in that app was done manually because there was nothing like a router that existed at the time. And I was in Boston and Dockyard had kind of started up the Boston Ember meetup. Right. I started going there. And when I first found Ember and the router and realized how much basically that Ember's router did all of that work for me that I had just spent so long doing myself, I was really sold on, on the conventions and everything. So... That's kind of when I decided I really fell in love with Ember, fell in love with the community, started working open source in the community, doing conference talks. And I kind of felt like I wanted my next step to be like a full-time job where I could work full-time on, on Ember, basically. Um, so that's when I kind of, you know, dove deeper into the Ember community and then ended up getting a job at TED where I was doing basically Ember full-time. Very cool. So, so uh, yeah. yeah. So why Ember? Why not... Um you know, one of the more popular frameworks? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, you know, back then, um, Backbone was the most popular framework. React hadn't really come out yet. Um, and Vue certainly, you know, I didn't, I think it might've been being developed as far back as, I don't know, 2013 or 2014, but I, I didn't know about it. And it wasn't really like a mainstream thing. Um, you know, I, I kind of liked Rails. I liked ThoughtBot. I liked Boku, some of those consultancies, Rails consultancies in Boston. Like they're writing, they're thinking about software development. 
the idea of conventions over configuration and, you know, how to share more abstractions as a community. And I saw that a lot of people in the Ember community share those same values and um, just wanted to tackle the problem of building a JavaScript kind of fat client app from the whole um, problem, like taking the whole problem head on and, you know, not just having just a new layer, just a data layer, kind of tackling the entire thing. And that, that really appealed to me and um, appealed to the kind of kind of web apps that I wanted to build and see what the web was capable of. So, you know, that's why I first got into Ember, started doing some open source in the Ember community and, and kind of ever since just, um, you know, have been, been there, been a part of that community and definitely have followed people who have gone into React and Vue and, and other popular libraries, but, um, and, and frameworks and communities, but, um, yeah, so far, like, uh, you know, I think a lot of the communities learn from each other, but, um, if I were going to build an application tomorrow, you know, Ember would still kind of be my first choice because I'm familiar with it. And I know you get a lot of it, a lot of things with it out of the box. Have you been thinking about building a mobile application, but you're a web developer and you're not really sure you want to learn Swift or Objective-C or Kotlin or Java or any of the languages that are used natively by those platforms? Well, you should check out React Native. React Native is a platform managed by Facebook. You can share a lot of your state management and other logic code between your applications. And we have a podcast that talks about all of the issues and all of the advantages of using React Native. And you can check that out at reactnativeradio.com. So uh, what, what kinds of things have you done for Ember? I mean, we, we talked a bit about videos and demos and things like that. Um, have you contributed to open source there or given talks at conferences or things like that as well? Or Yep. So, um, yep, given a few conference talks. My very first conference talk was about using um, D3 with Backbone, Angular, and Ember. And so I was kind of always interested in um, how to use the popular frameworks, use their idioms and their kind of best practices way of doing things to integrate with you know, more general libraries, things like D3, and, and just see how those different patterns looked across the different frameworks. And that's still kind of interesting to me. You know, how would some, a React developer solve this problem versus a Vue developer versus an Ember right. developer? Um, and then I've given some talks at Ember, uh, Ember Conf and uh, some other Ember-related conferences about a couple of different things. But the main project I've worked on in the Ember community is called Mirage. And Mirage is a tool that lets you mock out backend APIs. And so that's kind of something that came from my work at TED and has been the main project that, you know, um, probably if folks know me in the Ember community, that's how they know me. And uh, we've done some trainings on that at Embercom and, and made some videos on that as well. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I can talk more about Mirage if you'd like. Uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about it real quick. Cool. So Mirage um, is basically an Ember we have this data layer that's called Ember Data, and um, it's how you query data from the back end. And, you know, because Ember is really focused on building like full SPAs, uh, and there's that hard boundary between the front end and the back end. What you find is that, you know, as the front end team grows, maybe the front end folks want to um, put a server in a different state than it would be that's on staging or even in production. They want more control over that server-side data. And um, Mirage lets them do that. Mirage basically gives front-end developers 
control over uh, kind of a safe backend server that they can use to develop and test their application. And so it's kind of an easy way to set that up and it works all in the browser. And um, that way you can build basically a production ready front end JavaScript application and just plug it into a real API and basically be confident that your code's gonna work when it talks to the real thing. So uh, that's, that's what Mirage is all about. Started with trying to just standardize some of our testing code at, uh, at TED and um, we kind of made it, we extracted it, made it general purpose for kind of all Ember developers. And now we're actually extracting it and making it uh, general purpose for all frameworks. So it's gonna work regardless if you're using Ember or React or Vue or anything. So, yeah. Nice. So is is that what you're spending most of your time on now or? Yeah, so that, that definitely is. Um, we're starting to learn more about, you know, how React developers do data fetching and how, you know, if you're building an SPA in view, like how are you thinking about fetching data from the server? Are you having a client-side cache similar to kind of how we have with Ember data in Ember applications? And um, how you think about sale data and refreshing data and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the interesting part to us. Uh, me, I'm talking kind of me and my colleague, uh, Ryan Toronto, we both make the videos and we're both working on Mirage.js. But, um, you know, as we've been building up some React projects of our own and learning the data fetching APIs, it's been fun seeing Mirage work. And it's pretty, pretty similar, I would say. I mean, you know, at a high level, kind of the architectural uh, decisions that you're making, if you're working in React or Vue or Ember are, are pretty similar. You have a front end, you have a boundary, and you have a back end API. Every kind of rich JavaScript front end expects to talk to a back end with a certain contract. So if you can fulfill that contract with a Mirage server, then the front end developer can basically work a lot faster. They don't have to rely on a back end API being ready. They can even build their entire front end before the back end is ready at all. So this works pretty well when, you know, there's a front end team and a back end team kind of working on their own. And uh, we see Mirage being used for that situation a lot as well. Cool. Um, is there anything else in your background that you've uh, done or contributed to JavaScript that you want to talk about real quick before we go to picks? Um, you know, just uh, different things here and there in the Ember community. I really love um, documentation. I really love kind of good documentation sites and, and just education in general has kind of been a theme of a lot of the things I've been involved in. So one thing I did in the Ember community is this project called the Ember CLI add-on box, which is basically a way for other folks who make open source libraries to kind of quickly get uh, a documentation site set up. And it has a bunch of kind of visual UI components that will help them style their markdown guides. It'll version their documentation. It'll automatically deploy it to GitHub with every different version. Um, and it, it runs tests against, kind of living tests against their documentation. And so that, that was a really fun project to work on. And now kind of as we're branching out into React and Vue and seeing how we can apply some of the open source lessons we've learned and some of the libraries that we've built in Ember to these other communities, that's something else that I'm kind of also interested in. If there's kind of some way that, you know, open source authors could have an easier way to, to maintain their documentation sites. Because it turns out it's actually quite a bit of work to version it, have the, the documentation lined up with the API docs and all that sort of thing. So yeah, that's kind of another active area of interest. Nice. All right. Well, um, we're getting 
toward the end of our time. I'd love to talk a little bit more about what you've got working on or what you've got going on. Um, but I'm guessing people can probably find you on social media and, you know, maybe a blog or YouTube channel or something like that and, and see that stuff. So where do they go to get information on what you're working on these days? Yeah, absolutely. Twitter is the best spot for sure. Twitter.com uh, slash Sam That's my handle. And um, miragejs.com is, is where we're doing all of our Mirage stuff. So right now we're working on the docs for it, basically. The library has been extracted from the Ember CLI Mirage project. And, it, and we have demos of it working kind of in React apps and view apps. So that's been really exciting for us. And there's a little sign up there if you want to kind of follow along the progress. And, um, you know, we talk about it and Ember and React and all things UI development on our podcast. And that's at embermap.com slash podcast. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Um, you've been on the show before, so you kind of follow along with what picks are. Um, I'll go ahead and go first, though. Um, the first thing I want to shout out about is Podcast Movement, which is a podcasting conference. Um, it was this last week. It was held in Orlando. And I had a great time, ran into a bunch of people. Um, really, really positive experience for me. Uh, got a lot of ideas about different things that I could be doing. And uh, so, yeah, uh, definitely going to shout out about that. Thanks. And Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Cool. That's where I'm from. And, oh, really? Cool. Yeah. When I was 10, we moved down there and, and my brother still was down there. So. Nice. Well, one thing I figured out was um, when, so when I go look for flights, um, I typically will check the box that says, show me surrounding airports. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be considerably cheaper for me to fly into Tampa. As opposed oh, yeah. to Orlando. And so I flew into Tampa. I rented a car. I still saved money. Um, and then um, what that did is it freed me up to get into a VRBO. Um, I, I rented a, basically a vacation rental on mm -hmm. VRBO.com instead of staying at the conference hotel. And that saved me another pile of money. So, nice. um, yeah, I'm just going to throw that out there as a tip for folks. Um, if you're looking for... Uh, convenient way to travel. Um, that's definitely worth considering. Um, do you have some picks for us? Some things you want to shout out about? Uh, sure. Just kind of off the top of my head, I just got this uplift desk and it's pretty sweet. Um, I just was like wanting to stand up working at, in the afternoons after lunch. I was felt kind of sluggish and I was like, yeah, it'd be nice to have a standing desk. I've never had one before. And I got this uplift desk and it's really cool. Um, I'm really happy with it. So if folks are looking for that, I would I would definitely recommend that website. Yeah. Other than that, I recently saw a pretty crazy movie. It's called Midsummer, And I, I, I haven't really been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it. So if you're into kind of spooky movies, pretty intense it's from the guy who did Hereditary last year. But um, it's pretty beautiful, pretty, pretty intense and terrifying, but also very beautiful. Nice. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming, Sam. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. It's, it's always, uh, always fun chatting with uh, you and everyone else on the, on the program. Yep. Well, it's good talking to you too. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off because I've got another call coming up. Cool. But uh, yeah, we'll wrap this one up and we'll have another story next week. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.